This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with the General. Long-ass greetings and salutations, a long-ass snappy salute, Semper Delictatio, always pleasure, long live the Alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, save America, it is your global five-star general and Alpha Male-in-Chief, front and center from Command Center Alpha Humidor, Way, uh, Humidor 1A, and we welcome you to this special edition of the Cigar Dave Show podcast, which is presented to you by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Trenta, commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta is everything you'd expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and buy Davidoff of Geneva. Introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor created by a synchronized blend from the Caribbean accentuated with tobaccos from Central America. Head to the land where palm trees sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. I have received numerous requests from our fellow cigar connoisseurs and alphas saying, General, we miss... Your Saturday Cigar Dave show. We miss the terrestrial syndicated show. We miss the two hours that would start at noon where we could sit, we could fire up a cigar, we could have a libation, we could have a college football game in the background, of course, with the volume down, and enjoy your take on not only cigars, spirits, diversions, but on alpha male related items as well as the topics of the day. So it got me thinking, while we've been doing the Cigar Dave Show podcast and the Bold Alpha podcast separately, maybe let's do a little retro podcast. Let's do a retro format where we actually do a long form of the Cigar Dave Show. So that is what we are doing by popular demand. So we'll do it this week. We'll gauge the popularity. I'd like to hear from you. If you like when we do these longer form Cigar Dave shows that drop every Saturday, let me know. Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. Twitter at Cigar Dave Show. Facebook Cigar Dave. Instagram Cigar Dave. Sergeant Steve, did I forget anything? I know we're going to set up a Getter account here pretty soon. Did I forget any other social media? It's been so long since I plugged them. I think you got it. We covered all the basics. All right. We, we covered all the evil, big social media. All right. As you know, we are not politically correct on the Cigar Dave Show. Now, we as alpha males, we tell it like it is. I don't sugarcoat it. I never have sugarcoated it. One of the many comments I would get from our listeners over 25 years was they enjoyed that I didn't sugarcoat anything, that I was a breath of fresh air, and that I wasn't afraid to tackle a politically incorrect subject and give my opinion on it. As you know, I have nads of steel, as do all alphas. We give our opinion, and we never apologize for our opinion. The mistake that is being made today, somebody makes a comment. And the next thing you know, they may make a legitimate comment. The next thing you know, they are on the air, they are on social media, sitting and apologizing. There's no need to cower. There's no need to apologize. Sage Steele of ESPN was on the Jay Cutler podcast. She made some comments. Could they be considered 
somewhat controversial. I didn't think they were that controversial. Talking about Barack Obama and the fact that not only did he have a black father, but he had a white mother, and she's biracial as well. And they got into talking about how you're identified. Well, the next thing you know, of course, a huge outrage on social media. ESPN, of course, the woke network has to cave, and they take her off the air for a week. And then, of course, she apologizes. Let people have an opinion. You may disagree with that opinion. You may find that opinion to be vile, their point of view to be the total antithesis of what you believe. Nonetheless, that is their opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. Others are entitled to their opinion. That's why we have the First Amendment in this country, although First Amendment free speech is being under constant attack by the Biden regime. But nonetheless, we do have that freedom here in the United States. If you disagree with somebody, fine. Disagree with them. Write down your point of view. Text your point of view. Tweet your point of view. Do a Facebook post. Do a YouTube video. Disagreeing an Instagram video. But why do we find this need in this country today? That for every opinion that deviates from just this to the side or the right or left of vanilla, that all of a sudden we must castigate someone, make them apologize, put their head between their tail, and then suspend them and make them an outcast. It's nonsense. I will never apologize. And one of the things I won't apologize for is I believe there are three genders. Male, female, and freak. Don't give me this transgender bullshit, quadragender, quadrasexual, amoeba-sexual. It's real simple. As they say in Britain, as Mick the Brit would say, you either have a tallywhacker or you don't. You're either a penal American or a vaginal American. One of the two, but there isn't any in between. But this nonsense that we can't call pregnant women pregnant women, they're pregnant persons. When was the last time you saw a dude knocked up? Never. But yet, we bend over backwards now with this bullshit wokeness that not only are Republicans and independents fed up with, but many Democrats are fed up with as well. Critical race theory. That's another load of poppycock. Who are one of the biggest opponents to critical race theory? The people supposedly it's intended to help. Black Americans. They're against it because it's all woke nonsense. It is total contrived poppycock. And when we look at the Canadian Prime Minister, talk about a wussified beta male. Talk about weak. Talk about pathetic. The guy just oozes betaness. He oozes being a pussy. Justin Trudeau, or as I like to refer to him as Justine Trudeau, he is now going full woke. He's created a new phrase. You know, we've heard LGP. First it was LGBT. Then it was LGBTQ. Now it's LGBTQ+. And as I like to say, LGBTQ, LMNOP, QRS, TUV, XYZ. So you can cover every damn fruitcake in this country. He now has created a new phrase entitled 2SL LGBTQQIA plus people. Now, can you imagine on television, normally you'd hear people saying, now we're proud to represent the LGBTQ community. Now it's, we're proud to be members of the 2SL GBTQQIA plus. 
Do you, Sergeant Steve, do you know what that even stands for? Not a clue. Not a clue. Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, you didn't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It stands for Two-Spirit, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, Questioning, Intersex, and Asexual. Now, do you know what intersex is? I have no clue. Asexual, I get. But now all of a sudden, if somebody's asexual, that's like a gender you, you, or some sort of sexual preference. I'm asexual. I'm like an amoeba. I'm asexual. Because that's what amoeba... Do you remember Sergeant Steve in, in, in grade school or even, I think, freshman biology in high school? We learned about amoebas. Mm-hmm. That they're asexual. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so they basically can have sex... I don't know how it works because because it's been so long, but they basically can have sex with themselves and they can reproduce. That doesn't happen in humans. It has never happened in humans. We are not amoebas. But now, all of a sudden, we have to refer to people as 2SLGBTQQIA+, 2-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and asexual. Now, as Andrew Dice Clay would say, what is this questioning bullshit? You either do have a dick or you do have a vagina. What's the bullshit questioning? Now, when you think about that, Sergeant Steve, doesn't you got a question? All you need to do is look down and see what you have. Am I, am I wrong on this? You are correct. I am correct. Now, do you know what two-spirit refers to? Two double-fisting drinks? <laughs> Close, but no cigar, as our belated good friend Gene Tipton would say. May he rest in peace. The term two-spirit is used by Native, purportedly used by Native American communities to recognize individuals who possess qualities or fulfill roles roles of both feminine and masculine genders. Now, I I get that you can sometimes have to play mommy and daddy. You have to be mother and father. I get that. But now all of a sudden... You're called a two-spirit? We've gotten absolutely farcical on referring to people's sexuality and their being. As I said, it's real simple. There are three genders, male, female, and freak. You either do bang chicks. If you're a guy, you either do bang dames. You bang another guy or two women. You can... I don't know how you bang each other, but I guess there's probably a way. So it's real simple. If you're a man, if you're an alpha male, you either have sex with a dame or you have sex with a guy. Now, that's not my thing. I prefer the harem of hot 32 bodacious dames. But I don't believe that it is my right nor my business to get into other people's bedrooms. I don't believe it is up to me to be a little... Gladys Kravitz, if you remember from the TV show Bewitched, there was this neighbor, this busybody neighbor across the street that would always be looking in the window with her eyes to the window and her hands to the side to look out. And whenever the Stevenses, no relation to Sergeant Steve, that would be the, I think it was uh, uh, Darren and um, Samantha Stevens were their, their name in the Bewitched show. Whenever they would do something, you would hear Gladys Kravitz going, Abner, that was her husband. Look what I just heard. You'll never believe it. And he would like, I don't care. Don't bother me. 
She was a little yenta, a little busybody, had to get in everybody else's business. I don't believe people should go into my bedroom, my pleasure palace, if I want to have a harem of 32, a harem of three, a harem of one, a harem of 100. None of their business. Not my business, other people's sexual persuasion. I don't care. Do what makes you happy. Not my business. But don't interfere in the fact that I want to have a harem or that, look, I believe that every man should have as many dames as he wants. You want to marry six dames? You want to have the potential for six alimonies? Be my guest. But if you have a harem, you get the milk without having to buy the cow. Hello, E. Figure that one out. It's a very simple game. Don't make it complicated. But it is not my business. Stay out of my bedroom. Stay out of my pleasure palace. I will do the same thing. But this nonsense that Justine Trudeau and all these other wokesters are coming up with, these crazy phrases... 2SLGBTQQIA+, screw that. You will never hear me refer to anybody with that phrase. Will not happen. And will I apologize for my stance? Not a chance. Slim and none already left town? Oh, no, what's, uh, uh, two chances of that happening. Slim and none, slim already left town. No chance of that ever happening. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. Now talk about something that is very disturbing that I will not apologize for. As a kid growing up, I'll never forget the first time I bought my first Playboy. It's almost a rite of adolescent passage. When you hit 14, 13, 14, 15, you go into the store and you say, I'd like a Playboy, because you think you're a big shot. And you tell your friends, I read it for the articles. I like the jokes. Bullshit. You want to see naked, hot broads. You want to see naked hot dames. You want to see the boobs. You want to see the vajayjay. You want to see the ass, the legs. You want to see hot naked women. Anybody that tells you otherwise is lying. Now, have I read the articles in Playboy? Absolutely. Are there some great interviews when it was still a print publication? It's no longer in print. Absolutely. Was it... it really, when you look at it, it was, it was kind of like men's health, maxim... FHM all combined, but the difference was they had hot nude women. 
So it was all part of the lure, all part of the attraction. And I remember the first time I subscribed. I think I was like 16. And I thought I was a big shot. I'm like, I subscribe to Playboy. And then, of course, I upped my taste. I now, forget Playboy, it's too tame. I now subscribe to Penthouse. But every kid, every, every adolescent with raging hormones at one time or another either bought a Playboy, was given a Playboy, bought a Penthouse, subscribed to Penthouse, it was a rite of adolescent passage. Imagine my surprise when Playboy makes the announcement they're celebrating their first ever male cover model a man, Bretman Rock, a Filipino-born beauty influencer, in its October digital cover, on its October di digital cover, and they're saying it is a huge deal for the LGBT community. I'm sorry. When we talk about Playboy or Penthouse, there is no LGBT. There is no transsexual, transgender, there's only one thing, hot dames, hot women that are gorgeous with big racks, great legs that you would want to bang. It is that simple. Do you think as a raging alpha male with massive amounts of testosterone flowing through these blood vessels that I am for one iota going to even think about looking at the October, I haven't looked at a Playboy in I don't know how long. First of all, let me go to Playboy. I don't even know what the site looks like. These Sergeant Steve, when was the last time you went on to uh, Playboy.com and, and even saw a digital magazine? No clue when. No clue. I'm looking at it right now, and I got to tell you, yeah, this is, it's mostly about shopping. The first two items here, here's new Halloween styles. Then they have uh, shop men's, shop women's for Halloween. Oh, Playboy. X Bretman Rock, explore the cover. Now, when I tell you this guy looks like a $3 bill, I'm not kidding you. He's got a, 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 a nipple ring coming out of his left nipple. He's got this giant, I don't know what you call it, piercing coming out of his left ear. All I can tell you is, if you think any man is going to get wood by looking at this guy, think again. This is Sergeant Steve. I implore you right now, go to playboy.com, scroll down a little bit, and you will see their digital October cover of Bretman Rock in a Playboy Playmate outfit. I mean, this guy, I don't, I don't even want to call him a guy. It's an it. I don't know what he is. Transgender, quadragender, pangender. Again, I don't give a damn what you want to bang. I don't give a damn what you do. But I'm sorry, Playboy penthouse are about hot women going woke is a sure way that they're going under without any question in fact what's interesting is playboy stopped when hugh hefner stepped down from the company and uh, passed away they stopped printing the magazine now, I remember at one time, you would look at Playboy, and that thing was, that was like three-quarters of an inch thick between the ads, the articles, and I'll never forget, about five years ago, I'm going in an airport, and of course, you know, they had Playboy and FHM and all those, or maybe it was at Barnes & Noble, and I, I said, geez, I haven't seen a Playboy, I wonder what it looks like. I picked it up, it was light as a feather. It was like 40 pages. There was nothing to it. Even the women weren't that hot. 
So who is this Bretman Rock? He's 23, stars in his own MTV reality show that streams on YouTube. Uh, he's a beauty influencer. This guy wears makeup, eyeliners, eyeshadow, lipstick. He's a freak. Any way you look at it. Millions of social media followers for his styling and makeup, as well as his workouts, interactions with family members. Now, I'm sure women are like, oh, he's just fabulous. I just, I love his makeup. It's just so great. Let me see if I can get some tips from Bretman. I'm telling you, these, listen, every woman loves these kind of guys. You will see them. Go see women that are out. They always have either gay guys, which is nothing, no problem. I mean, every woman I know will say, you got to have a gay friend. No problem. Then they'll be hanging around with these transgenders that wear the makeup and the quadrosexuals, the multisexuals. They're freaks. And I'm not apologizing for that. Again, do what you want to do. I'm not saying don't do it. Well, I kind of am because, frankly, I think it is a little bit odd. No, it's very odd. But I'm not going to apologize for my stance. I'm an alpha male. I'm a heterosexual alpha male. And I realize in this country today by saying that you're a proud heterosexual that now everybody's going to come after me. All these women's groups and all these LGBTQ plus QRH LMNOP groups, how dare you? How dare you not embrace the wokeness, the, the vast sexual exploration of all these Americans and people in the world? Hell no. I'm never going to apologize for that. But now people think they have to be accepting of it. I'm sorry. This Bretman Rock is a damn freak. Any man that wears makeup and eyeliner and eyeshadow and lipstick is a freak. End of discussion. And if you happen to wear makeup and eyeshadow, I'm just telling you right now you're a freak. If you have a problem with it, so be it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm looking at one of these pictures, and one of them, he looks like Rick James. He's got like the... Um, the dreadlocks, but they're, they're like diamond studded. And he's got like cubic zirconia or diamonds on his lips. Does it get any more freaky than that? I'm telling you, look, go to playboy.com. It's free. Just scroll down. You'll see this guy. This is beyond pathetic. Now, Playboy always leaned left. Always tend to be left of center in politics, social issues with Hefner. No problem. But since Hefner has passed away and he stepped down, Playboy has become increasingly woke. They put their first transgender playmate on a cover in 2017, putting male-to-female French model Inez Rao on its centerfold spread. Male-to-female. I'm sorry. I don't want to look at a guy in a centerfold transgender, whatever you want to call it, that used to have a tallywhacker, and now he's got a vajayjay. I don't want to see somebody that's been snipped. That is not what Playboy is all about. And if that's not politically correct, so be it. Could care less. I'm not politically correct. Alpha males aren't politically correct. And we need somebody in this country and in this world to speak up and say, enough's enough with this woke bullshit. I'm tired of having transgenders and quadrosexuals, asexuals, unsure of being sexuals, rammed down my alpha throat. Not going to happen. And I think I speak for 
not only millions, but billions and billions, as Bernard Sanders would say, billions of people, billions of alpha males that are fed up with this woke bullshit being shoved down us 24-7, that we have to accept it. Live the life you want to live, but don't shove it down my throat, literally and figuratively, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. Live your life, but don't shove it down my throat. I don't need to say, hey, I'm a flaming heterosexual. I don't need to do that. If you are homosexual, if you are asexual like an amoeba, transsexual, pansexual, whatever freaking sexual you are, live your life, but don't throw it in everybody's face. Don't make a big deal out of it. Live your life, do what pleases you, but don't be irritating and shove it up everybody else's ass. That's probably a bad analogy. I was just thinking about that. That's probably not good. But you get what I'm saying. Live the life you want to live, whether that means you're heterosexual, you're asexual, you're homosexual. I don't care. But I don't feel the need for people to shove it in my face and jump up and down like at these pride parades. Have your pride parade. Great. But don't march around with these banana slings jumping up and down showing everybody and making a big deal out of it. By the way, why don't we have heterosexual pride parades? Why is that politically incorrect? I have no problem with gay people having their pride parades. Great, you're proud? Perfect. Why can't I have a heterosexual pride parade? I'm happy that I like dames. I'm happy that I want to bang hot women. I'm happy and proud that I want to have hot women in my harem. What's wrong with that? Only in this country, now probably the rest of the world over the last number of years, has it been a sin to be a heterosexual, red-blooded male with raving and raging amounts of testosterone uh, flying through your blood vessels. Now these woke groups want to make us apologize and feel badly. First, they made us feel badly with the feminist movement of making us feel guilty for being male, for being a male species. Then they made us feel, feel guilty for being young adult men, young adult boys, and then, and then young men, and men in general. All because of the feminist movement. We are the cause of all women's problems. We are sexual predators from the time we are conceived. And the time we come out of the womb, it's just a time bomb waiting to happen. We know that's nothing, that, that, not even close. We know that's complete nonsense. But that's what the feminist movement did in this country. They have made men feel guilty about being men. That's number one. Number two... They have wussified the American male. They have made men be more feminized, more feminine. And there's a number of factors. Certainly a higher divorce rate, more boys living with their mothers. They don't have a male influence. That's a huge problem. I have a very good friend of mine. She got divorced when her son was, I think, six, seven years old. And she said, I surround my son with alpha male role models. His uncle, friends, uh, uh, people she knows. She wants him to be exposed to male influences. She does not want him to become a mama's boy. She wants him to become a strong alpha. 
The problem is today that over 40, 50 years of manifestation, boys in school have been made to feel inferior to girls. Scientific studies have shown teachers spend more time with girls than with boys. Boys are portrayed and men are portrayed on Hollywood comedy shows as being inept. You remember Everybody Loves Raymond? Raymond was a sports writer, but he talked like this, hello, Deborah, his wife, and he would come home and give his paycheck to his wife, and he was a bumbling buffoon idiot. That is what men have been portrayed as. You don't see men walking in and saying, I'm a strong alpha, I'm the head of the household. You don't see that in Hollywood very often. Some shows, Tim Allen had some of his shows where he was the alpha male, but it's very, very rare. There's a Wall Street Journal article a few weeks ago. I'm going to spend time on it next week, talking about the huge discrepancy now between males and females in colleges across the country. The number of males applying to college and being accepted dropping dramatically. Females at one time were 50-50, 50-50 ratio male to female. It's now over 60% female to male and getting worse. I'm all for equality. Women should have the right to go to college, get a postgraduate degree. No problem with that. But so should men. And men now are feeling alienated. They are feeling displaced. If you take a look today, many of the higher paying jobs are going to women. This isn't by accident. This is exactly what the feminist movement has wanted for 40 years. They don't want equality. When the feminists say, we want female equality. No, they don't. They want female superiority. And where have men been? There's no voice. There's no unified voice for the male species in this country, except for me. There is no voice that says it is acceptable to be an alpha male. You should be proud to be an alpha male. You should be proud to be a decisive alpha male, run the show, and achieve. There's nothing wrong with that. But yet, how many times do you hear men They'll achieve success, they'll get promoted, and some feminists will say, well, you got promoted at the expense of a female, of a woman who is just as qualified. And now what companies are doing unknowingly and unconsciously, even though they believe in fairness, they're tilting the scales towards women. I remember, this has got to be 1980, it was 1987-88. Well, I was in the broadcasting industry, I had a, uh, a colleague who's an executive, and he showed me a picture in his office, where I was in his office meeting him one day, and he showed me a picture of his whole staff 10 years prior. And it was like 90% male. And then he showed me a recent picture. He said, what's the difference? And I said, geez, it's like, and this was in 1987, 88. I said, man, it's almost like 50% female, male to females, right. He said, now I'm going to show you another picture of the company executives that we have, our general managers and sales managers. It was like 70% female. He said, I'm all for equality, but what is happening now? And he said, I'm ready to retire. But he said, when you get into business, you will see a dramatic change. He said, you will see women in higher positions, which he has no problem with, but you'll see it will be at the expense of men. And we are seeing that now. You get two people equal. Male and female, who's getting hired? Female. Who's getting promoted? 
Both things being equal, the female. That's fact. I'm all for equality. But what I am not for is deriding men for being born male, for putting down being an alpha male. There's no voice right now. Everybody just acquiesces to this woke movement and puts their head between their tail. And that is unacceptable. Be proud to be an alpha male. Be proud to be decisive. Be proud to run the show. And I will tell you this, as strong as women are, and I know tons of strong women that are alphas in business, what they really want in their personal life is a stronger alpha male to run the show. And I'll tell you, the ratio is probably 95% to 5. There are 5% of women that basically, as I call them, they're chicks with dicks. They want to run the show even at home, so they basically marry or they date these wussified beta males. But the true feelings of most women, even strong women, strong alpha females in the workplace, they want a stronger man to run the show. It turns them on for a man to come home and say, Friday night, I'm taking you out to dinner. We're going to this restaurant at 7 o'clock, dress appropriately, and then afterwards, we're going to go dance here, and then we'll go get a, get a, uh, a nightcap at so-and-so. You tell that to a woman, she will be massively excited in anticipation days before. Why? Because most men today go in and call up a woman and say, what do you want to do this weekend? Where do you want to go? Nothing turns a woman off more than an indecisive beta male. And I can tell you that my female friends that are total alphas at work, in the workplace, professional lives, they crave, they are desperate to date alpha males that are decisive, that run the show. Every one of them that I know tell me the same thing. Nothing turns them off more than weak, pussified beta males. And so when I see on the cover of Playboy a beauty influencer and member of the LGBT community, which, great, enjoy yourself. You don't think this is a result of 40 to 50 years of the feminist movement's influence on society, not only in the United States but around the world? This is what feminists want. They want wussified, feminized men. And that's what Playboy now has on their October cover. There is no, this guy shouldn't... Bretman Rock. When I think of a guy named Bretman Rock, I'm thinking about a strong alpha male. I'm thinking about somebody decisive that runs the show. I'm not thinking about some clown, some yo-yo, that's wearing lipstick and eyeliner and eyeshadow and fake eyelashes, wearing a Playboy Playmate outfit with bunny ears. This is the result of 40, 50 years of the feminist movement to feminize American males. They have succeeded. But it is time that we take this country back. It's time that alpha males regain their rightful position. Don't apologize for being a strong alpha male. Don't apologize for enjoying the sexual company of dames. Don't ever apologize for having a strong opinion. Once you do apologize, it's over.
Once you cave, once you acquiesce to the feminist, forget it. I can't tell you how many debates I've gotten into with women, and I use the term lightly, because when you look at them, they are chicks with dicks. They have more facial hair than I do, and trust me, I get five o'clock shadow at one in the afternoon. I have a very strong beard. Very dark beard. But I've seen these feminists, they call themselves women, they have a bigger, they have more facial hair than I do. I mean, they have goatees growing from their chin, mustaches growing, you know, between their nose and the, their upper lip. Once you apologize to these feminists, it's over. And I have gotten into massive heated debates. And what frustrates them more than anything is that I stand my ground. And I never back down, and I never apologize for being an alpha. And they get so perturbed, like, oh, you're a Neanderthal. You're like a caveman. And I say, no, I'm not a caveman. I said, I'm very polite. I'm not a Neanderthal. I'm classy. I, I'm tremendously polite. I treat my dames fantastically well. Oh, dames, that, that's, so, that's, that, that's such a derogatory opinion, uh, uh, term. And I said, well, let's look it up in the dictionary. It is not. It's a term for an elegant woman. Now, abroad, that's, that's a little bit of a, to a degree. To me, you have a, an elegant woman, that's a dame. You have somebody that's kind of rough around the edges, that's a tough broad. There's a difference. But they get so incensed because I'm always debating with fact. They get so incensed because I stand my ground. They get so incensed because I call them out, and they get so incensed because I don't cave and roll over to their woke feminist bullshit. And what frustrates them more than anything else is that I'm a proud alpha male. They hate that. They want sub submissive, subservient, beta, wussified beta males. That is what they want, but they never get it from me, and I cannot tell you how many times I engage in debate, and invariably, it always ends the same way. I can't debate with you. You aren't being reasonable. I'm done. And they walk away. Because when you debate in fact, I've said this thousands of times on this show, when you debate in fact, not in fiction, your opponent will get frustrated because their argument holds no merit and they will walk away. When your opponent cannot make a cogent argument using fact, they hide, they run, they surrender, they are deep down weak. That's what many feminists are. They are weak. If you stand up to them, don't apologize for being a man. Don't apologize for being an alpha male. You will frustrate them to no end. I am proud to be an alpha male. You are proud to be an alpha male. You and I are both proud to have nads of steel where apologies are not an option for opinion. Now, if you make an error, that's a different story. But for having an opinion that you believe in, don't ever back down. Don't ever cower. Don't ever put your head between your tail. Don't ever apologize. And one thing I will never apologize for, enjoying cigars, spirits, and of course, my harem. And around the corner when we return, we will conduct the international cigar litation and libation ceremony. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. 
they incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, today I'm going to pair up a unique cigar with a fabulous beer. It is Cigar Oktoberfest. The entire month we celebrate cigars, we celebrate Oktoberfest, we celebrate beer. And let me remind you to listen to our brother podcast, not our sister podcast. Our brother podcast, the Bold Alpha Podcast. Do a search wherever you enjoy and obtain your podcasts. Because usually every Saturday, we drop our weekly Bold Alpha Weekly Spirit Celebration segment. We will do so tomorrow late afternoon. Or correction, today late afternoon. Because today is Saturday. I'm, I'm getting my days mixed up here. It's kind of weird. I'm not used to doing the show on Saturday. We normally record and drop them during the week. But today, we made an exception. So, we celebrate both items. And on our Bold Alpha weekly spirit celebration podcast we're doing beer the entire month last week of the month last saturday we will do a full beer tasting so it is appropriate that i pair a fine cigar with a beer now today i have pulled out a unique cigar a new cigar limited run cigar from diesel cigars now diesel is kind of the boutique division the artsy division of general cigar they created a very unique standalone operation, standalone entity called Diesel. And Justin Andrews, the senior brand manager, who is really the face now behind Diesel, has been creating some very unique cigars. So about a month ago, six weeks ago, I get a box delivered to me with a just a box of 10 cigars called Diesel Sunday Gravy. I'm looking at them and I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting, Diesel Sunday Gravy. Now, I happen to know from having many Italian friends that they would always, on Sunday nights, they'd have family dinner and they would always have pasta and their mother or grandmother or their aunts or other relatives would make sauce, which they would call gravy. Now, you and I would think of gravy as what you put on your turkey or your prime rib. But Italians, they refer to their pasta sauce, their tomato sauce as Sunday gravy. I've known this for a long, long time. 
So it is a very unique cigar, and so there's a, a, a unique story behind this Diesel Sunday Gravy. Now, this is going to be a full-time line under Diesel, but it will be seasonally released, primarily using Nicaraguan cigar tobaccos. They will blend them through a partnership uh, with A.J. Fernandez and Justin Andrews, the senior brand manager and face ambassador, if you will, of Diesel Cigars. And they're going to be released quarterly. And the price on these cigars are going are almost unheard of. I'll tell you the price after I tell you about this cigar. But what Justin Andrews wanted to create, when he started working with A.J. Fernandez, he was very impressed with A.J.'s method of making cigars, how he grows the cigar tobaccos, how he ferments the tobaccos, how he ages the cigar tobaccos to get the meticulous taste that he is looking for. And he said that, Justin said, the process reminded him of how his mother used to cook their Sunday sauce slowly over a low flame. And everybody I know that makes, or whose grandmother or mother or who now makes tomato sauce for spaghetti or pasta says the same thing. You gotta cook it slow and slow. You can't just dump sauce in and then put it on high and then 10 minutes later, it's ready. It's like a fine soup. You have to let it simmer. You have to slowly cook it all day. And that's exactly what he said that the way that A.J. Fernandez works with the cigar tobaccos reminded him of. So he said the comparison to cooking inspired the name of the new collaboration with A.J. Fernandez. Because A.J. never rushes the aging process, never rushes when the tobacco is going to be ready. So, therefore, he said, when you think about the a Sunday gravy or a Sunday sauce, it's rich, it's got complexity, it's got a lot of depth. Same thing with many of the cigars that AJ blends. So, therefore, they came up with this very unique name called Diesel Sunday Gravy. Made down in Esteli, Nicaragua at Tabacalera AJ Fernandez. Both AJ and Justin worked together on the first blend called San Marzano. Launched in July. Now, technically, it's available. It was available till the end of September, but it is still available in some many retailers. However, when these went out to retailers, the retailers all scarf these up. So if you do find some of these Diesel Sunday gravies, pick one up. And here's what's incredible. Uses an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan Esteli binder, Nicaraguan Jalapa. I found this to be a very nice, complex, medium-bodied cigar. I thought there was some creaminess. I thought there were some notes of espresso. I thought there were some nice notes of cedar. It was just a very tame cigar. Here's what's unbelievable. It comes in one size, the San Marzano, a Toro. Six inches in length with a 54 ring gauge, or 54, 64 of an inch in diameter. Suggested retail, four. 99 less than five bucks for a premium hand-rolled cigar from Nicaragua. I mean, that is absolutely unbelievable. Five bucks or less, $4.99 suggested retail. Who does that anymore? I haven't seen cigars being released for less than five bucks. It's almost an impossibility. But AJ and Justin did it. So congratulations to them. They're launching a new Sunday gravy blend.
for the holiday season that will be launched sometime this month. So today I am pulling out, I have eight of these diesel Sunday gravies to go. I'm going to pull one out. And the band is very simple. It basically just uh, has the Sunday gravy logo on it with the diesel logo. It says San Marzano. It's red, black, with uh, almost a tan color in the background. And it just says Sunday gravy. Very simple band. But listen, as far as I'm concerned, I want them putting all the money in the Sagrada Tobacos. I don't need to have fancy boxes or fancy bands. It comes in 10 counts. And it's very unique. Again, just a very cool box. Nothing fancy on the box. A paper box. But I love. T- I-, I think we should see more of these kind of 10-count boxes. They're easy to travel with. They're easy to purchase. I just love them. It's just fantastic. So congratulations to Justin. Andrews over at Diesel Cigar for creating a very unique cigar at an unbelievable price point. I mean, Bill Walton would say, it's unbelievable. It's just totally cosmic. Unbelievable. So I cannot wait to get my chompers. I've had already two of these. Now I'm going to have a third. Fantastic. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine in my right hand, ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. There we go. We had a little bit of an airlock in my Cigar Dave 5-star. This is from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories. Nice compact lighter. Has five jet flames in a Pentagon arrangement to signify my 5-star ranking. Beautiful. Nice jet flames. Oh, you know what? I need some butane in here. Stand by, please. Stand by. I should have done this before, although I thought I had plenty of butane. Fear not. Any good cigar connoisseur and five-star always has a bottle of butane. I'm going to fill that up. You can take a listen to that. And the cool thing is this has a translucent tank. So I can see right now I am filled up. I'm at 80%. I will just leave it sit for about 15 seconds because when you put butane into a litation device, very cold. All right, let it warm up. Here we go. Oh, yeah, now we have full litation. We can go throttle up for full butane burn. Cigar Cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. Didn't take too much off. Don't want to kill the end of the cigar. Want to just take off. The head just above the shoulders. Let me toast the foot of this diesel Sunday gravy. Just a very unique, cool name. Let me toast this cigar. And as I do so, I am staring at a perfect libation that will just match up so incredibly and complement this diesel Sunday gravy, which is what you want. You don't want one to overpower the other. Let me puff and rotate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mmm. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Magnificent draw. Wow. Take a few puffs. Mmm. Low on the foot. You got one edge that just needs a touch up here. Mmm. Now I'm going to blow out once. Let it sit for just about 10 seconds as the aroma 
of this fine diesel Sunday. I can't, I love saying it. Diesel Sunday gravy. This has a nice ring to it. Here you go, Very nice. Mm. I think I'm going to have to call Justin. I know he's got some extra stash of these Sunday gravies, even if they're in bulk, just uh, not in a box. If they're in a bundle, cellophane bundle, I will take them because the cigar is fan. Five bucks? I'm lying. It's $4.99 suggested retail. I don't want to be accused of lying by a penny. $4.99. You cannot beat that. Unreal. Mm. Excellent. Now, my cigar is lit. For Cigar Oktoberfest, I need the proper accompaniment. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. All right, I have just... Actually, I had open ahead of time. Let me just pour in here. Oh, look at this beautiful brewski. Yeah, as they would say in Deutschland, the brewski is fantastic. It's fabulous. I have just poured a very unique beer that will go perfectly... As Regis Filmer would say, perfectly. It goes perfectly with this diesel Sunday gravy. The Yingling's, correction, the Yingling Hershey's Chocolate Porter from Pennsylvania. It's an American porter, 4% alcohol, 4.7% alcohol by volume. Mm. Yingling collaborated with Hershey's to create a chocolate porter. Smooth porter, hints of roasted malts, and a rich chocolate finish. For a six-pack, you're looking at $10.99. You can't go wrong. Now, what is a porter? Before we get into tasting this beer, well, screw it. I'm going to taste the beer. Let me say cheers. Didn't go well on the beer bottle. Mmm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mmm. Mmm. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. Beautiful porter. I can tell you right off the bat, this has probably got an IBU rating of maybe 20, 25 low, so it's very smooth. Wow. Now, let me tell you what a porter is. It's a style of beer that was developed in London, England in the early 1700s. It's a well-hopped, very dark beer in appearance because of the use of brown malt. So it's a very malty beer, not hoppy at all. The name originated from its popularity with streets and river porters. It became the first beer style to be brewed across the world. Production started in Ireland, the North America, Sweden, and Russia by the end of the 18th century. Now Guinness has an extra stout. In fact, what happens is Stout and porter are intertwined. The name stout is used for a dark beer. It came about because strong porters were marketed as stout porters. So first came porters, then stout porters. Now they call them stouts. They're very, very similar. But this is a very smooth beer. Let me take another sip here. Mm. And the chocolatiness and this maltiness is a perfect accompaniment to my diesel Sunday gravy. And that's what you want. Whenever you select a cigar and a spirit, I don't care what the cigar is, mild, medium, or full, you have to pair it with a like type of spirit. Meaning you can't smoke a full-bodied cigar and, and have a light spirit. For example, 
you can't have a full-bodied cigar and then go and get a glass of Cabernet. That's not going to work. Now, this cigar, this diesel uh, Sunday gravy, to me is on the medium side. This porter, this Yiglings Hershey's porter, to me, is also on the medium-bodied side, and they complement each other nicely. Not overly hoppy, not overly bitter, so one is not going to drown out the other. They complement each other. That's exactly what you are looking for. So as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, I've got my diesel Sunday gravy, which kind of has the Italian connotation because so many Italian families on Sunday would get together for family dinner. They'd make the sauce called the gravy, and now we combine it with an American porter, which originates originally from London, but they go hand in hand. They're very, very complimentary. Smooth finish to both the cigar and this Yingling Hershey's chocolate porter. Absolutely, as Frank Sinatra would say, it's marvelous. Absolutely marvelous, just marvelous. Perfect word. Mm. All right, I'm not done. When we come back, I, I'm just getting warmed up. We will move to the White House, blaming big meat for the rapid rise of food inflation. And I'll give you my two cents, because as always, the White House isn't giving it to you straight, and they're not giving it to you honest. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the... Blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta, celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler. Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98 created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. We have heard of big tobacco. We hear of big liquor. Now we're hearing big meat. Now there is no question there's been a rapid consolidation in the meat packing and processing industry. There are four global firms that really control most of the meatpacking in the country. You've got Minnesota-based Cargill, Arkansas-based chicken producer Tyson Foods, Brazil-based meatpacker JBS, Missouri-based National Beef Packing, which is owned by a Brazilian beef producer, Marfrig Global Foods. So you really have about four large, four or five large, big poultry and meat producers in this country. And then when you look at Smithfield, they are the largest pork producer, owned by 
China. That's right. We have to sell our food supply to the Chinese. It's not bad enough. Now, together, those aforementioned companies slaughter about 85% of the U.S. grain-fattened cattle that are turned into steaks, beef roast, other cuts of meat. It is no secret the cost of meat, poultry, pork, seafood, fish, everything has risen dramatically in the last eight months. Everything. Inflation has gone crazy everywhere. Let's look at the gas pump. When President Trump left office, I think it was what, a buck ninety a gallon, a dollar ninety-five. I think under President Trump it was as low as one seventy a gallon. But still, it was under two bucks. I just filled up, cost me three oh five a gallon, and that was at Costco, which is about ten cents lower than everywhere else. You go to New York State or California, you're talking mid threes, mid four dollars. That's not going away. We have abandoned our domestic energy production. Who did that? Oh, that would have been a one fraudulently elected Joe Brainless Biden. Curtailing drilling on federal lands, killing the Keystone Pipeline, essentially gutting out domestic production. We were self-reliant on energy. When President Trump left office, we were energy independent. We didn't need OPEC. We didn't need the Middle East. Today, we have the White House begging OPEC to produce more and keep prices down, lower prices. How weak does that look? Because we gave away. We handed over. We gave the Saudis. We gave the Russians. We gave every OPEC oil-producing country a gift. We were able to keep prices low because of our domestic production. We didn't need them. They needed us. Now, President Brainless Biden, slow Joe, boom, rolled right over. But he has no problem backing and supporting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline for natural gas between Russia, 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 and West Germany. President Trump had a huge problem with it. He said, why on earth, as a NATO country, which pays the majority of the freight for NATO, why are we protecting Germany from Russia, who is, to a degree, a sworn enemy, not only of the NATO countries, but of the United States? They work against us. We know that. Why are we protecting Germany, and yet Germany is going and doing business with Russia, becoming dependent on Russian oil and gas. Now, I'm sorry. If you have an enemy, the last thing you are going to do is patronize your enemy's business. You're going to find another source. The United States of America could have supplied Germany with loads of natural gas. Loads. Could have gotten it from other sources. Instead, they go to Russia because there is a backroom political deal. And mark my words, Angela Merkel will be on the take on this Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Who's running the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Oh, former German chancellor. Making millions 
Mark my words, Angela Merkel, who has supported this from day one, will do the same thing. She will get her slice of the pie. She'll get her cut of the vig. So we're seeing massive inflation. Energy prices up 55%, 60%, and going higher. Those of you that live in the Northeast, the upper Midwest, natural gas prices have exploded. They've almost tripled in a year. Would you like to guess what your winter oil bills and natural gas bills are going to look like when you have to heat your home? They're going to double and triple. Yet the White House has said they're not going to do a thing. They are not going to act to alleviate high gas prices, saying that the country needs to shift consumption to green energy. Let's see how that works for people whose bills have doubled and tripled this winter. Let's see how that works for people that say, I can't afford to put fuel in my tank between the increase in gas prices and food prices and all sorts of other inflation and real wages going down when you look at the massive inflation we're looking at. Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said uh, brainless Biden's administration will monitor the global markets, but said that we're not going to do anything to increase supply. She said no plans to take any action at this time, pointing to the brainless Biden regime's view of the importance of shifting America's energy needs to green energy sources. Let's see how well windmills and solar can heat Homes in New York State, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota. Let's see how that works. It's not going to work. And she went on to say, this situation really underscores the continued need to diversify our energy and fuel sources. We can't take our eye off the ball, as you can imagine. We must invest and deploy clean energy solutions at home and around the world to strengthen both energy security and mitigate economic volatility. I see. So around the world, that means allowing Russia to sell all the natural gas and oil they want to West Germany. And Jen Psaki on Wednesday indicated Biden saw global warming as a bigger priority than gas prices. Talk about a feckless White House. Talk about a White House that has the blinders on. Biden already has a, an approval rating that has dumped to 38 or 35 percent, depending on which poll you look at. This is for a guy that supposedly had 81 million voters. Now, President Trump never went below 45%. Why? Because he always had a huge stable of loyal followers. He had a huge base that supported President Trump. Biden has no base. He was fraudulently elected. You know it. I know it. The Democrats know it. Biden knows it. He can try to convince himself all he wants. He got 81 million votes more so than Barack Obama's first election, no chance. No chance, no way. Pisaki went on to say, certainly we all want to keep gas prices low, but the threat of the crisis, the climate crisis, 
certainly can't wait any longer. Mark my words. When Americans are paying double and triple for their energy bills this winter, when gas prices start moving to $350, $375, Biden's numbers will go to 10% approval. Mark my words. It's going to be a bloodbath next November. Republicans are going to destroy Democrats if they don't fuck it up. And as we know, Republicans have a propensity to do that. All you need to do is refer to Mitch, uh, Mitch, Marble Mouth Mitch McConnell caving in to the Democrats on raising the debt ceiling. The Democrats want to, do, want to spend three and a half, five, six trillion. Let them dig their way out of the mess. Don't assist them. You had them on the ropes, and McConnell gives them a lifeline. I call it the uniparty. The Dems and the Republicans, there's no difference. And then the Dems mock him, saying he caved. How pathetic is that? Elizabeth Warren. Members of Congress saying he caved. He's weak. And now you have a White House that is so oblivious to the hardships that Americans are going to face with rapid rising inflation and energy prices saying, we're not going to do a damn thing. Good. This will help us move towards a green economy. The climate crisis can't wait. The climate crisis is phony. Existential threat. Total nonsense. So why do we see rapid inflation? Not only in goods we're purchasing, in energy, but in our food bills. Go to any supermarket, look at the prices. The prices are outrageous. Earlier this week, the White House National Economic Council Director Brian Deese came out and said that increases in the price of beef, pork, and poultry are driving the overall spike in food prices seen since early this year. And he went on to say that, look, if you take away beef, pork, and poultry, actually food prices have not risen. They're, they're in line with current inflation, which is 5%. If anybody believes the Fed figure of 5%, you are delusional. Because remember, in that figure, that 5% figure, what do they exclude? Food and energy. That is like saying that we are going to build a car, but we're not going to put an engine and we're not going to put a fuel tank in it. But the car is still great. You can push it off the lot. You can't drive it off the lot, but you can push it. So they exclude two of the most relevant items that Americans, anybody in the world, has a huge effect on. Food and energy. You fill up your tank. You've got to go to the supermarket. You get food. Food and energy. Yet they exclude that. But even then... By excluding it, it's still up 5%. That's the highest in, I think, 20 years. So when you take a look, when you take a look at inflation, it is not 5%. And then when you hear Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, saying two months ago, through, well, we think this is transient inflation. What the fuck is transient inflation? Term that he created, saying, well, it's just here for a short time. And now he came out and said, well, we, it, we don't think it's going to be transient. could be longer. Really? No kidding. I didn't know that. Wow. Any American with a tenth of a brain cell knew it wasn't transient. That was the Fed chief trying to will his way upon the markets. 
Inflation is rising. It ain't going anywhere. It's not receding. Jobs report came out yesterday. Dismal jobs report. Expecting 500,000 new hires, 150,000. Biden tried to explain it away. Dismal. Now we have a slowing economy. We are going to get into a period known as stagflation. What is stagflation? When you have a stagnant economy and hyperinflation, you have the two worst possible scenarios that any economist will tell you can arrive, can, can, can take place. A stagnant economy. You don't have job growth, job growth. You don't have consumption growth. And then you have massive inflation. The only way to reduce massive inflation is by raising interest rates. And the problem is the Fed lowered interest rates to almost 0% interest rates levels back in 2008. Ben Bernanke, then Janet Yellen, and now Jerome Powell have kept interest rates artificially low. Who has it helped? The fat cats on Wall Street, the Blackstones, the Black Rocks, the Wall Street firms that can go borrow money for almost next to nothing. One and a half, two percent, even less than that. They can borrow massive amounts of money and they go out into the housing market and they're buying up houses left and right and then they're renting them. The reason you are having a problem buying a house today is because, number one, the Fed has kept interest rates artificially low, so people now can afford more home, driving up the price, saying, okay, don't worry, I bid 300000 for that house. I want the house. Interest rates are low. Yep, I can afford to go up to 375000 and my payment is still manageable. Why? Because interest rates for mortgages are 2%, 2 percent 2.5%. 2.5%. But the fat cats on Wall Street get money even less than that. Institutions can go out and borrow money at 1.5% all day. And they're going in and buying up all these homes. Just read an article in the Wall Street Journal that I think it was BlackRock or Blackstone, one of the big Wall Street investment groups, investment companies, that uses your pension money. If you work for a government, they take pension money. They are investments come from pension funds, insurance companies. You buy a life insurance policy. The insurance company needs to make money on that. What do they do? They invest it themselves or they invest it with other investment groups. They're taking the money that you are paying on a policy, that your retirement or your 401k is, and they're using it against you. They're buying up large developments of homes at one time. In Texas, BlackRock, Blackstone, I can't remember which one. It's irrelevant. They're both the same. They went out and bought from, I think, Lennar Homes or J.B. Horton, one of the big home builders. They went out and bought like 400 homes, one development. And they're not going to sell those homes. They're going to rent them. That's 400 homes that are off the market that you as a home buyer don't have access to. It is a crime. It is criminal what the Fed has done. And you take a look and see, well, geez, look at all the people, the one percenters, the top one percenters, the Wall Street fat cats that are getting richer. Why? Because they're getting no yield in bank accounts. If you have savings and you want to put your money in, banks today jump up and down and say, we pay, Jay, pay a huge interest rate. We're paying 1.1% to put your money in for 10 years. whoop de freaking do As a saver, you used to get 8%, 10%, 7%, 6%. You get nothing. So now, 
the Fed goes on into the stock market. They're buying stocks. They're buying bonds. So all these institutions are going in and buying stocks, buying bonds, knowing that the Fed is going to keep propping it up. But now we've come to a point of reckoning. There are no more buyers in the stock market. Why has the market dipped the last couple of weeks? There's no more buyers. The economy is slowing. Interest rates must go up. The only reason interest rates haven't gone up yet is because Jerome Powell is up for reappointment, renomination, next, I think, winter or early spring. The last thing he wants to do is raise interest rates, which would choke the economy. Now you would get it into a purposeful recession, bring inflation down, stock market would go down, housing market construction would go down. But the only way out of stagflation is to raise interest rates massively, which will cause a recession, which will then allow the economy to base, get prices back to normal, get everything back into equilibrium, supply and demand, and then grow from there. This was induced by two things. The Fed with low, unbelievably low interest rates and the federal government throwing money at American consumers. Throwing money at people saying, look, we know that you could go back to work, but we're going to keep giving you federal benefits and special state supplemental benefits. So they're tax-free. You can stay home. Why go to work? We'll give you, we'll put you on the government dole. And that's exactly what has taken place. Many people don't want to go back into the workforce. They're on a good gravy train. I got a friend in the hospitality business. He said, probably 60% of my workers said they're not coming back. They said they enjoyed life on the beach for over a year, year and a quarter, getting their unemployment, getting their supplemental benefits. They said, we're not coming back. So what are you going to do for money? Well, so far, we're pretty good. The government keeps coming up with new programs. There will be a day of reckoning. And so now the White House, instead of looking and saying, what are the real factors besides this inflation? The fact that we threw money at people not to work. The fact that we basically have, or the Fed has, thrown free money at everything. A massive amount of money liquidity. You th there's more money that you know what to do with. What happens? More dollars chasing fewer goods. Inflation. It's not rocket science. You don't need to be an economist to figure that out. But who is the, who are the White House, who is the White House blaming? Big meat. Now, to a degree, I think that the consolidation of the meat, poultry, and pork industry is a huge problem. Because you talk to cattle ranchers, they're not seeing higher prices. Yet, these packers are seeing huge prices. Now, the meat packers are saying, well, we have higher fuel costs. That's true. We have to pay more for truckers. That's true. But there is no doubt in my mind that they are raising prices because they know they can get it. But remember one thing. Demand is elastic. There comes a point when consumers say, I'll pay $4.99 for a, slab, for a pound of ribs. Or I'll pay $16, $18.99 for a New York strip steak. But I won't pay $20.99 for a strip steak. And for ribs, I won't pay $5.99. I'm done. I'll find something else. We're at that point. How do I know this? I was at Costco before I departed the Cigar City of Tampa for heat escape maneuvers to the northern part of the country in early August. About a week before, 
two weeks before, I went out and uh, to Costco, and I wanted to pick up some ribs. I was experimenting with, I become quite the pit master, and I was experimenting with several types of ribs and several methods of making them. Because as a pit master, as a five-star pit master, I'm always looking for ways to come up with new twists, new tastes, new methods of smoking ribs. And I'm proud to say that I've found numerous methods and my ribs have gotten fabulous. And there will be more on this towards the later part of the year, especially for those of you that are interested in purchasing a pellet grill or using your pellet grill to the max. So I go to Costco. Costco I go to has a huge, huge case of refrigerated ribs and pork products. It's probably, it runs north-south, big case, and I would say it's probably 30 feet, easy. And they've got pork shoulder, pork butt, they've got uh, the big slabs of bacon, loads of ribs. They probably had ribs that covered half of the case. Baby backs, they have St. Louis style cuts, they have the sparrows where you can trim them down to St. Louis yourself. Everything you wanted, loads of them. Now when I first started be learning to be a pit master at the end of last year, I think I was paying a buck 69 a pound for ribs. And the same price, whether they're baby back, the loin ribs, or the St. Louis style, same price. That early part of the year it went to $1.99 and it stayed there. But then starting in late spring, the price started to go up. 219, 239, 269, 299. And I hadn't purchased ribs in about six weeks. So I go to Costco early August and I'm looking for the ribs. No ribs in the case. So I find one of the butchers wearing the white lab coat and I said, excuse me, do you no longer carry the you know, ribs, any of the, the baby backs or the St. Louis cut ribs, because I can't find them. He said, no, 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 we've moved them to that case. And he pointed right in front of where the chicken, like to the side of where the chickens are. Case that's maybe six feet wide. Went from probably 15 feet to six feet wide. I said, why'd you move them? He said, have you seen the cost of ribs lately? I said, not really. He said, uh, what was the last price you paid? And I said, geez, I think, I don't know, maybe $2.99. It's been a while, $2.99, something like that. He said, well, last week ribs came in and they were, I think he said $3.69 a pound. He said, we just got a new shipment. That was a few days ago, he said. We got a new shipment today and we're pricing them at uh, $3.99 a pound and they may go up from there. I said, what? He said, you got it. That's why. We're only putting our ribs in a case of six feet. We don't need as much. There's not as much demand. Now, if you don't think that's affecting people's purchasing habits, going from 169 to 3.99, 150% increase, you better think again. It does affect people because then they have to look at the cost of fuel. They have to look at the cost of other goods. Go purchase eggs. The White House economic advisor said, well, we're seeing eggs have been maintained. Bullshit. Egg prices are up, I think, 30 cents a dozen U.S. grade A. So that's up 20% from last year. Somebody I just read, it's funny, I was seeing a TV report and they compared like five items. Pringles potato chips, regular Pringles, was like a buck 59 last year for a container. It's now $1.89. 
everything is up. So if you don't think that is affecting people and affecting demand, you better think again. Because there comes a point where people look and say, I'm not going to pay that. And I'll give you a perfect example. When I was up in the Western New York Theater of Operations for several, about three weeks in August, three, four weeks, Wegmans is the big supermarket. Wegmans supermarket's big destination type of supermarket. They are located, started in Rochester, New York, then they spread to Syracuse and Buffalo and Albany, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Maryland, now Virginia. Very unique type of store. They don't have, for example, in Buffalo, I think they have six stores, whereas other supermarkets may have, you know, 40 stores. Bigger stores, bigger footprint, and people will travel a little further to go there. I find their prices have gotten very expensive. Perfect case and point is their meat department. Now, most of their meat is prepackaged in a central location. It's cryovac but they do have a butcher counter where you can, they have New York strips and they have tomahawks. So, I happened to look at their meat, and I was looking to pick up a couple of bone-in ribeyes. When I left Tampa, Publix, which has excellent meat, got, they'll cut it the way you want, nice meat. They have a lot of Florida cattle, Florida uh, ranches that they purchase from. They have Angus meat. Prices are very reasonable. I paid, before I left in early August, for a bone-in ribeye. In fact, I took a picture. I want to give you the exact price because I do believe that Publix uses meat as a loss leader because I can, I can tell you from talking to wholesalers, the price that they sell it at, and they sell very good meat, USDA choice, uh, they, I think they use it as a loss leader. So here's a perfect example. So a bone-in ribeye was on sale Nope, it says surprisingly low price, $12.99 a pound. Now that's pretty reasonable. Normally you will find that, I think at most stores, in the $18.99, $20.99, dollars Now I don't know how they keep it that low. Maybe they buy, you know, they have big contracts with Florida farms. They use it as a loss leader, whatever the case may be. That same bone-in ribeye, USDA choice, $28.99 a pound at Wegmans. Now, I wanted to look at a tomahawk. I wanted to see how much they were charging for their tomahawks. $34.95 for a tomahawk ribeye. Same ribeye in Tampa at Publix, $13.99 a pound. Now, normally I'd see that at $16.99 a pound, $17.99 a pound. Went to $38.95 a pound at Wegmans. Everything was high there. Perfect example. A 10, I think it's a 12-ounce container of soup. You know, you go to the soup bar, 12 ounces. At Wegmans, $12.99. I went to Whole Foods. They opened a beautiful new Whole Foods here in the Cigar City of Tampa back in June, June or July. Huge soup bar, like 15 different soups. $9.99, or no, it's 10 bucks. 10 bucks even for a large not 16 ounce, uh, I'm trying to remember the container. Was it maybe 32 ounce, 16, whatever the large container is. I'm comparing apples to apples. Wegmans, $12.99, Whole Foods, 10 bucks even, Publix, $8.99. So Wegmans food prices are high, higher than most everywhere else. But nonetheless, to have a cut of meat, 
almost triple. I looked, and I can easily afford it. I looked, and I said, I'm not paying that. That's ridiculous. And there's another supermarket I found called Dashes. They've got excellent meat, much better prices, but still high. But not $38.95 a pound for a tomahawk bone and ribeye. So there is a point where people look and say, it's not worth it to me. And we're at that point food-wise. I've talked to several grocery managers that I know, different stores that I go into. And I always like to query them. It's the best consumer research. I said, what are you seeing? And they said, look, people are cutting back. You know, seafood. I was talking to one of the seafood managers, and he said, you know, scallops now, $32.99 a pound. Those nice sea scallops. I used to buy those all the time. I think I used to pay $17.99 a pound, $18.99 a pound. But at $32.99 a pound, I don't want to pay that. It's ridiculous. So what happens? Demand decreases. People hit a point where they say, it's too expensive, and I'm going to cut back. We're at that point. Talk to any supermarket manager. Talk to consumers. I watch consumers. Watch them look at something, see the price, and put it back on the shelf. They'll find an alternative. So for the government, for the Biden administration, the regime, their National Economic Council director, Brian Deese, to blame big meat for everything is nonsense. And then to be in denial saying, well, if you take away meat, poultry, and pork, inflation for groceries is reasonable. I'm sorry, it's not. So should the beef, big beef, be investigated? Absolutely. They should be investigated for price fixing, for gouging, for, for, for any non-competitive issues. But again, who were the people that approved all these mergers? It wasn't in, just in the Trump administration. It took place in the Obama administration. If you want to prevent these mergers, deny them. It's that simple. If you want a robust competition, a healthy competition in any market, kill consolidation. We've seen it in every industry, airline industry, seen it in the food industry, seen it in the broadcast. Oh, it's going to be great. Consolidation, going to keep prices low. Baloney. You know it. I know it. Prices always initially, they keep them low, then boom. So should big meat, these four or five Meat processors be investigated? Absolutely. Why is it that the cattle grow, the cattle producers are getting lower amounts today for their cattle when prices are at an all-time high? There's a huge disparity. That should be investigated. But to blame just meat? Forget it. There's so many factors, and much of them point to the Biden administration, the socialist, ultra-liberal policies of Congress, and the Biden regime. If you think it's bad now, just wait until we have the Marxists, the socialists, and if they try to approve a $6 trillion, it's not going to be a $3.5 trillion, what they call infrastructure plan. It's a welfare plan. All you need to do is look at Venezuela or Cuba. How did that work out? It didn't. There's a reason Venezuelans are running for America. There's a reason that Cubans can't wait to come to the United States. We're such a, an evil, racist country. Why is it that they're all flooding here, willing to risk their lives to get in here illegally? Because they know damn well is America America's the best place on earth. But with the socialists, the Marxists, and the ultra-liberals, they're killing it fast. We are going to see an economic collapse that we haven't seen 
since the 70s. Mark my words. I don't know when, but when you have stagnant, stagnant economy and hyperinflation, it's coming. And the only way out of it is massive interest rate increases, which gets you into a deep recession, which is the only way to get out. If you think I'm kidding, go back and look at what interest rates were and what happened to the economy under Jimmy Carter and the first two years of Reagan. Took Reagan's administration two years to dig out 21% interest rates that the Fed enacted until they could finally get it buried and then bring interest rates down. But now we've got these, I call it interest rate crack. The Fed chiefs have created this artificial low interest rates that is like crack to governments, it is crack to Wall Street, and it's crack to consumers. But there will be a day of reckoning. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Lastly, save not necessarily the best for last. And again, we are going, this is a little bit different show today because as you know, normally I will do three topics. We try to keep our weekly Bold Alpha podcast to around 30, 40, 45 minutes. But we receive requests from people saying, General, go longer. Go longer. I miss the Saturday Cigar Dave show where we could have a cigar, we could have a libation, kick back. You want it, you got it. But here's the deal. I need feedback. Either it's social media, at Cigar Dave Show for Twitter, Facebook Cigar Dave, or by email, CigarDave at CigarDave.com. Let me know your feedback. Because look, we listen to our audience. If our overwhelming audience says, General, we love the longer Saturday editions, we don't need a lot of market research to tell us. Let's do that. We are flexible. Not a pro- Look, any good five-star general has a plan, a backup plan, and a tertiary plan. Otherwise, you're like General Millie, Mickey, uh, Millie Mouse. You got no plan. We are not Millie Mouse. We're more like General Patton. We've got big balls and big plans. Now, let's talk about a big drug that you've been hearing about the past week. A total breakthrough you've heard in COVID. It it is the talk of the town, the bell of the ball. It's a game changer. That's all I heard last week on CNN and MSNBC and, uh, and CNBC, even Fox Business. It's a game changer. 
This is revolutionary. This is going to be great. You've heard about the new drug from Merck called Molnupiravir. Molnupiravir. Dumb name. Have no idea how they came up with, uh, came up with it. But it's also known technically as EIDD-2801 and MK-4482. Molnupiravir. Talk of the town. Everybody said, Science Magazine said, and I quote, Molnupiravir is unquestionably a game changer, exclamation point. The large effect size and the ease of administration changed the paradigm of mild COVID-19 treatment with the potential to reduce COVID-19 death rates. Mm. Taking another sip of my stout here, fantastic. Or my porter. So what's all the excitement? Why is everybody getting into it? Why is everybody so excited about this new revolutionary drug? Now, remember, keep in the back of your mind what I've been talking about the last year and a half. Hydroxychloroquine and now ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D3, vitamin, Z3, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D3, and azithromycin. Just keep that in the back of your brain bank, your memory bank as I tell you about this new revolutionary drug for Merck. They were so excited because Merck reported no deaths. They had two groups. They had a placebo, placebo group and a group that was given molnupiravir. No deaths in the molnupiravir group, eight deaths in the placebo group. Now, it's an interim analysis on non-hospitalized patients. They stopped the trial on hospitalized patients. Why? It didn't work. What have I been saying the last year and a half about the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus? I've said to you two things. Number one, we must treat the Wuhan virus at the first sign of infection because if you allow the viral load to explode by day five or six, it is too late. And I said, secondly, we must keep patients out of the hospital. How have we done that? How can you do that? How have doctors that have been at the forefront doing it? How have, world, how have countries around the world done it? Through hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D3, and vitamin C. That's fact. That's not hype. That's not me coming up with some fantasy fairy tale. I'm giving you what is taking place. Why is it that in the 23 countries in Africa that routinely take ivermectin as a prophylactic against, uh, trying to remember what the, it's called river something disease, where basically it can blind people. It's, it's a parasite. And in many countries, they give everyone in the country, they take uh, like two doses a week. Very, very important. It has been a game changer, revolutionary. In fact, the World Health Organization has stated that it is one of the most important drugs. I think their list of the top 50 or 100 most important drugs in the world. But yet you will hear physicians who are uninformed, who have never bothered to read an article about ivermectin or the efficacy, who regurgitate the bullshit of the libstream media or phony Fauci, they'll say, oh, this is an animal drug. This is a horse drug. Horseshit. It is not a horse drug. It is used in the veterinary 
profession, just as if, just as many human drugs are used on pets. Perfect example. My protective canine detail, Pendragon's Royal Baron, my German Shepherd, about four months ago, he had a slight dermatitis. I noticed he was itching. He had some flakiness. Skin was dry. Bacterial type of infection. Took him to the vet. The vet gave him, and I can't remember what he gave him, but he said, look, I'm going to put him on this um, antibacterial antibiotic, and we don't even carry it here, but I'm going to call it in to Publix. They have pharmacies. He goes, which, you just tell us where you want to call it in, and there's usually no charge for it because it's a generic type drug, and if there is, it's like four bucks. That's a human drug that he prescribed, used in an animal, but he used it at a different dosage. He didn't use the same dosage as he would give on me or a doctor would give on me. He had to account for the dog's weight and size, so he gave a smaller dosage. Now, because my German shepherd got that antibiotic, do we say, well, that antibiotic is used for animals and shouldn't be used for humans? No. There are plenty of drugs where they're, they're used for both animals and for animals. It's been going on for years and years. In fact, almost every major pharmaceutical company has a veterinary division, and many of the drugs that their veterinary divisions use are just reformulations and dosage changes of the drugs that are prescribed to humans. Does that mean that ivermectin is a horse drug and shouldn't be used in humans? No. But that's the false narrative that is being spewed that unfortunately half of America believes without looking at the studies. Now we're hearing about molnupiravir. I heard some physicians being interviewed saying, oh, this could be a game changer. This is fantastic. Why is it a game changer? Because they are saying that 50% of the patients that were given molnupiravir, none of the 50, apparently in the, in the control group where they were given the drug, none of them ended up in the, none, none died, but 7% were hospitalized. Now, they have a non-peer-reviewed interim analysis report. Now, you have heard phony Fauci say, oh, we need to have a double-blind peer-reviewed trial, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, there's no evidence, no peer-reviewed trials, baloney. There have been plenty of peer-reviewed trials and studies. There are now, I think, 29 studies on ivermectin, 32 studies on hydroxychloroquine, totaling over 26,000 and 54,000 patients combined. In fact, Several studies have just been released where they looked at a total of, I think, 63 other studies and did a meta-analysis and showed that ivermectin is effective given in the first five to six days and has shown to be very effective as a prophylactic. I'll get into the effectiveness of ivermectin momentarily, but let's stick to this new wonder drug that we're hearing about, molnupiravir from Merck. Now, Again, non-peer-reviewed study, meaning no other physicians or scientists have looked at it. How many patients were in this study? Now, you'd believe there were thousands and thousands of patients. You'd believe that they're now in stage three trials. No, 775 total patients in the Merck study. Of those 775, 
7.3% of the patients given molnupiravir were either hospitalized or died after nine days of treatment, compared to 14.1% of placebo patients. So here's what is interesting. 7.3% were hospitalized or died nine days after treatment, compared to 14.1%. Now, you look at the placebo and say, wait a minute. If they knew that they could cut the death rate and the hospitalization rate by half, why wouldn't Merck immediately stop the placebo and say, give these people the pill, this, this molnupiravir? They didn't. They allowed the patients to die. They allowed 14% of the people, both Merck and the National Institutes of Health, allowed 14.1% of people in the control portion of the study to develop severe Wuhan virus and die with no treatment. They gave them nothing, a placebo. Now, how did the NIH and the FDA allow this to happen, knowing the efficacy of early treatment? How could they do that? Because the standard of care right now in this country, the overwhelming majority of physicians, if you test positive and call your physician, what they will tell you is stay home, do not go out, get sick. If you do get seriously ill, go to the emergency room. That's exactly what they're telling patients. If you get very sick and nothing happens, we can't prescribe anything, get sick, get on your deathbed, go to the emergency room, your lips turn blue, then, then we can treat it. I'm sorry. That is not the way to treat the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. We know for fact, even though physicians, the majority of, here's, my father was a surgeon for many years. I can tell you from personal experience, my father had more damn medical journals. They were piled up, and he'd read them all. I mean, his idea was uh, would be watching a sports event, and then he'd, before bed, reading an article, reading the journals. He'd get them all. He subscribed to them all. My mother would be like, you're getting too many of these journals. He goes, no, I read them all, and he did, because he wanted to know what studies were. The problem today, most physicians are so busy seeing patients. You go to a GP or an internal medicine, they're seeing patients from 8 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon. They're seeing maybe six patients an hour, every 10 minutes, sometimes less. Why? Because the Medicare reimbursements are so lousy. The only way you can make it is seeing patients like an assembly line. That's not the way medicine should be practiced. So they have no time to do research for themselves. And when you do talk to physicians, and tell them, the first thing they regurgitate is, well, no, 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 There's the CDC and the NIH and, and, and even the AMA saying this is dangerous. And I ask, have you ever done the research yourself? Well, no, I rely on their research. So I say, you have not done the research yourself. And when I take 30 minutes to explain to them and send them the articles and the studies, they come back and look at me and say, I, I didn't realize this. I feel like kind of an idiot. I mean, I had a physician call me through a friend of mine saying, hey, you know, a friend of mine was telling me about this treatment. I'm starting to see more of these patients. What are you talking about? Give, give me your whole spiel. I spent an hour on the phone with him. 
told them everything. And I said, but don't take my word for it, because I'm not a physician. But I did the research. Here are all the studies on hydroxychloroquine, on ivermectin, on zinc, on D3, on vitamin C. And so one of the physicians says, why well, are you give them zinc? I said, great. You're giving them ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine? No. I said, well, you need a zinc ionophore. And they said, well, what's a zinc ionophore? I said, well, zinc cannot penetrate a human cell. It cannot penetrate the outer lipid wall of the cell by itself. It needs an ionophore, which basically opens up the cell wall, which gets in almost like an opening. If you would think about this, think about if you are going into a, oh, let's just see. Let's say you are, you're going out on a, on a stage. You know, they've got those big stage curtains, and in the middle, they're right in half. Well, think about zinc as a person trying to get out from backstage to go on the stage. But instead of going in the center, they're going on the sides where there's no, there's no partition, and they can't get through. That's the same thing with zinc. It cannot get through the wall of the cell. However, if you give a zinc ionophore, the equivalent would be if you tell someone, hey, there is a opening right in the middle of the curtains. If you go open, just peek them open, just spread them a little bit, you can get right through. It's the same analogy. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin is the gun. Zinc is the bullet. So what the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine do, they are zinc ionophores. They allow that cell to be amenable to opening, and then the zinc goes in behind it. But also, the remvesidir is a protease inhibitor. It is an antiviral. The protease inhibitor prevents the virus from multiplying. Now, we're going to Think about that in a second. It prevents a virus from multiplying. Keep that in the back of your mind for just a few minutes, and you'll see how I'll bring this back to molnupiravir, this new wonder drug everybody's talking about. And zinc is an antiviral as well. Both of those are very important. Vitamin D3 has been shown to be very important. Most every patient admitted into an ICU with the Wuhan virus, low levels of vitamin D3. If you're not taking four or 5,000 IU of vitamin D3 a day, Start taking it. Don't rely on me. Ask your doctor. Every doctor today that does blood work, almost everyone will do a vitamin D3 or vitamin D scan. They want to see your vitamin D levels. Very important. And if you have not gotten one on a blood test, tell your physician, hey, next time you give me a blood test, I want to see what my vitamin D level. You will be shocked. I thought my vitamin D levels were great. When I first did my, uh, my physician about... Uh, Ten years ago, he said, we'll do vitamin D. And I go, no, I, I, I sit in this. I'm not, not sit, but I'm out in the sun, whatever. He goes, trust me, let's just see it. Mine was ultra low. He said, 5,000 IU a day. I said, yeah, but I go out in the, in, the, in the sun when I walk. He said, not enough. Vitamin D3 supplementation, very important in human health. Do your own research. Do a search. Do an online search. Talk to your physician. They'll tell you the same thing. So I want you to remember one very important thing. Ivermectin is a protease inhibitor, prevents the virus from multiplying. That's what we want. But why do we need to get it in the first five or six days? 
and most doctors don't know this, because once the viral load explodes, that's when all the nasty shit happens. That's when it can travel into your lungs. That's when your oxygenation levels go down. That's where you can get a secondary bacterial infection. That's where it can spread to other parts. Remember, the Wuhan virus is an inflammatory virus, an inflammatory disease. We want to prevent inflammation, and the way to start that is to prevent viral replication. A year ago, when there was an eight, 10-day backlog on getting results of Wuhan virus tests, what was happening? People were feeling sick. A few days into it, they'd get a test. Their doctor would say, well, we don't do anything until we see the test. Then what would happen? Tests would come back eight, 10 days later, too late. They'd test positive, but the virus, the viral load would have already exploded. Too late. First five to six days, very important. That's why I tell people, you get a sniffle, you get a sore throat, don't wait. See your doctor, get a test. And if your doctor doesn't properly know how to treat it with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, the zinc, the vitamin D3, vitamin C, you call every doctor in the book until you find someone that does. Otherwise, the doctor not prescribing anything, telling you to stay home and just quarantine in place is doing you a disservice. They're doing harm. They're not doing no harm. So let's go back to this miracle drug that we've heard about the last week, molnupiravir. Up to now, most physicians say, well, you've got the, the Wuhan virus, go home, quarantine. If you get worse, you know, take fluids. If you get worse, go into the emergency room. Wrong way to treat it. Now, as Ron Mopil would say, but wait, there's more. Other issues with the Molnupiravir study that you should know about that you won't hear on the Libstream media, you won't hear from phony Fauci, you won't hear from Big Pharma, you won't hear from most physicians. Why? Because either they know and won't tell you or they just don't know and don't do the research. That's why I have impeccable integrity. I do the research. I post the research. We've posted it on social media. Whenever we've had, Sergeant Steve, have we not posted in the past before when we've had some of these studies? Have I not said, post it, let everybody see it? We have. So we don't hide anything. When somebody tells you, when phony Fauci says there's no evidence, okay, usually there are ways you would say, well, we have studies that showed it doesn't work. Post them. No problem. Never did that. Why? Because he knew all along starting in August of 2005 in his own virology journal from the NIH that the use of chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine in vitro, meaning in a test tube, in a Petri dish, was effective against the uh, SARS-CoV-1 virus. And remember, CoV-1 shares 95% similarity of the RNA with CoV-2. That's why hydroxychloroquine has been found to be effective along with zinc. So a few other issues that we should talk about. It is not clear if Merck actually had 775 patients. According to the clinicaltrials.gov entry, it was a phase two, phase three combined phase trial with six arms and an enrollment of 1,450 patients. Now, first of all, combining phase two and phase three is not acceptable scientific study practice. You don't combine, you go phase two to see different results, then you move it into phase three. But they combined it, phase two, phase three. I assure you, 
If the same were done with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, phony Fauci would be all over it, saying, this is very dangerous. This is not acceptable scientific protocol to combine phase two and phase three. So the problem is that they say they had an enrollment of 450 patients. But we don't know, by combining phase two and phase three, we don't know the development of knowledge confirming the adverse effects. We don't know. So if you've got 775 patients, where are the other patients? Where are the other 775 patients? So you can say, well, what's the difference between 775 and 1450? The study, which was nothing more than a press release that Merck came out with, was an interim analysis. The problem is the data are in for all 450 patients, but they only talked about an interim analysis of 775 patients. So when will we see the rest of the data? Hmm. That should point out some, that should make people's heads scratch. So you're combining phase two and phase three, which is not acceptable scientific protocol. You had 1,450 patients in the study. All the data is in for 1,450, yet you only talk about 775 patients. That would be a red flag to me. It should be a red flag to phony Fauci. It should be a red flag to the Libstream media, but they don't do research. Now, recall that the study was in non-hospitalized patients so they could study hospitalization rates and deaths, okay? But there was also an entirely different study on hospitalized patients that they, and I'm quoting here, terminated for business reasons. According to the U.S. government's official record of the trial in clinicaltrials.gov, that study is efficacy and safety of molnupiravir in hospitalized adult participants with COVID-19. Same exact researchers. Difference is they wanted to research and see how the drug would work and how safe it would be for patients in hospital with the Wuhan virus. Intended number of patients was 1300s, uh, 1300. But they terminated the study for business reasons. That's a quote, terminated for business reasons. They terminated the study after 304 patients. Why? They said business reasons. I'll tell you why, because it wasn't working. It showed no effectiveness whatsoever in hospitalized patients, but they're not releasing that. So what does it all mean? Under Burke's own data, if everyone took the drug in early phases, uh, phases, half of the patients taking it would still be hospitalized. That is far worse than hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin combined with zinc. It is not even close. I think ivermectin with zinc is something like, if you get it within the first five days, is like 90 plus percent effective. But wait! There is more, as Paul Harvey would say, page two. What Merck is not telling you and what the scientists are not telling you, what phony Fauci is not telling you, what the Libstream media is not telling you is what the method of action Molnupiravir uses. 
It is a mutagenic nucleotide analog. Well, that's pretty scientific. What does that mean? Basically, its method of action is it introduces errors in the Wuhan virus RNA at the time of replication and causes lethal mutagenesis. What does that mean? Very scientific. Essentially, the way it works in to stop the virus from replicating, it doesn't kill the virus like a protease inhibitor such as ivermectin and zinc. What it does is it gets into the virus and it allows it to replicate, but it screws up the RNA. It's kind of like short-circuiting it. If, imagine if you would, you would take some electronic, your computer, and you say, okay, I'm going to, you know, this computer, I, I've got a short circuit. I, it, I don't want to just take that a hammer and whack the hard drive. No, I'm going to short circuit it. So I'm going to take this wire and that wire, and I'm going to basically short circuit it. Well, one of two things happens. You, you short circuit it, or you could make the problem even worse. Same thing with molnupiravir. Because it is a mutagenic nucleotide analog, and at the time of virus replication, causes it to mutate, doesn't kill it. What can happen is even a moderate increase in the mutation frequency can cause a huge amount of dangerous recombinations. Those events, those mutations may be too small to be caught in small trials. 775 people is a very small trial. However, you start looking at it in large populations, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, a million, that may lead to catastrophic consequences. What could happen if molnupiravir is approved under emergency use authorization? It essentially could breed dangerous and deadlier COVID-2 variants, COVID-19 variants. I want you to think about that for one second. This drug, molnupiravir, does not kill the virus. It doesn't stop it from replicating. What it does, it allows it to replicate, but it screws up with the inner RNA. However, the problem is when it keeps uh, uh, replicating, you essentially get more mutations. Here's an interesting case in point. Everybody talks about the Delta strain. It's the Indian strain. That's the strain that was prevalent in India going back earlier this year. The current Delta strain of the Wuhan virus, where worldwide prevalence is greater than 80%, has 24 mutations. 24 mutations. What does that mean? Means that the Wuhan virus already mutates and evolves faster than scientists thought. And that all of a sudden, if you start putting in an RNA nucleotide analog drug that basically doesn't kill the virus but allows it to mutate or, or come up with new combinations and short circuit it, it could create a far deadlier super Wuhan virus which would evade existing immunity, could have an infection fatality rate of over 3%, right now it's about 1%, and essentially you would kill more people than would die from the disease using this drug. Now, even if you say, okay, this drug had very significant benefits for individual patients. It's got a 50% effective rate. 
still shouldn't be approved. Why? It's useless. It is inferior to ivermectin. It is not even close to the efficacy and safety of ivermectin. And again, we know the method of action of ivermectin. It is a protease inhibitor. There is another pharmaceutical company, Pfizer. From Pfizer vaccine, Wuhan virus vaccine fame, that also has a drug in trials right now. What type of drug is it? A protease inhibitor. Same damn thing that the that ivermectin does. It is a protease inhibitor. No difference. In fact, the nickname for the Pfizer drug is money uh, um, money vectin. Vectin, money vectin, because ivermectin. You take out the Iver, they replace it. They're calling it Pfizer Vectin or Money Vectin because instead of costing, what, for a weak treatment, you go in your, your pharmacy, it's available as a generic. Even if your insurance doesn't cover it and about 90% of them do, your out-of-pocket cost is maybe 10 bucks, maybe 20 bucks. The cost for the new Pfizer drug, oh, and by the way, this new Molnupiravir, $750 for a week of treatment. 750 bucks. Now, you tell me, why is it that Pfizer and Merck are both touting their drugs? Pfizer's drug, almost identical to ivermectin, a protease inhibitor. Why are they promoting their new drug over ivermectin, which is widely available, being used in India, Africa, countries around the world very effectively? Follow the pharma money. Always follow the money. Perfect example. Molnupiravir. Cost to make molnupiravir is $17.74 to produce a five-day treatment. How much has the U.S. government contracted with Merck if this drug is approved by the FDA for the same exact medicine that costs $17.74 to produce? They are charging $712, a 40-time markup. Now, here's one other little factoid. This molnupiravir originally was investigated as a possible treatment for Venezuelan equine encephalitis using government funds. Oh, what drug is effective in equine encephalitis? That would be ivermectin, already available. The Defense Threat Reduction Agency, known as um, a part of the Def Department of Defense, I believe they call that um, like DERPA or some acronym, they provided more than $10 million in funding in 2013 and 2015 to Emory University in Atlanta as research done by the nonprofit Knowledge Ecology International has revealed. But wait, there's more. The National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, part of the NIH, which Fauci oversees and provides and approves all grants, provided Emory with more than 19 million in additional grants. So now you've got Fauci's division, which has funded this Melnupiravir to the tune of 19 million, and the Defense Threat Reduction Agency of the DOD put in 10 million, $29 million of government funding 
And who's going to reap the profits? Is the government going to get a payback? No way. No chance. Ridgeback Pharmaceuticals, which purchased the rights from Emory and then resold them to Merck to produce this worldwide, they are going to reap the profits from this new Molnupiravir drug, which could bring in as much as $7 billion in the next year. $7 billion. Now think about this. The U.S. government, between the Department of Defense putting in $10 million and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, Fauci approving $19 million, U.S. taxpayers put in $29 million to develop this brand new revolutionary molnupiravir, and it's anything but that. Despite that investment, did the U.S. government get a break on the price? No, it cost 17 bucks to produce. You'd think they'd say, look, you funded this initially, great, you're going to pay the cost, what our cost is. Oh, no. No, 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 no. The stupid U.S. government in June signed a $1.2 billion contract with Merck to supply 1.7 million courses of Molnupiravir at 712 bucks. Think about that. Your taxpayers fund this new medication going way back to 2013, eight years ago. Taxpayers put in 29 million. Taxpayers get gouged, get screwed. Now, this drug should not be approved. Molnupiravir, despite what you are hearing, should absolutely not be approved. In fact, there were questions about this drug going back to before Ridgeback Pharmaceuticals bought the drug. Numerous issues were brought up talking about the danger of using this type of drug where basically it uh, screws up the RNA, can create all sorts of mutations. Major, major danger. Warning Will Rogers, warning Will Rogers. Yet, all you're hearing is what a miracle drug this is. 775 patients whereas there's been million, billions of patients that have used ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. You think I'm lying? All you need to do is go take a look. Do a search. Do a search. COVID-19 COVID infection rates, India. COVID-19 infection rates, Africa, ivermectin countries. And just take a look at the data. India has flatlined. In early May, they were averaging 420,000 new cases a day. Now, in a country of over a billion people, I think uh, it's a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand a day. Now, how has India been effective? Not with molnupiravir, not with monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies, not with remdesivir, not with doctors saying don't do anything and just come to the emergency room when you're on your deathbed. Every Indian in numerous states in, within India has been given a COVID-19 kit. It consists of a pulse oximeter, a digital thermometer, ivermectin, vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D3, and an antibacterial, uh, not azithromycin, there is another uh, anti 
a bacterial that has been, uh, and the name escapes me right off the bat. It will come to me. Does the same thing as azithromycin. Doxycillin, same thing. Basically, it prevents a secondary infection of your lungs because that's where pneumonia can develop. You always want to watch for pneumonia. Essentially, when you prescribe azithromycin or doxycycline, it is a flak jacket for your lungs. That's essentially what it is. Let me take a sip of my porter here. <clears throat> In fact, let me take another sip because I'm going to wrap it up here. All right. Take a sip here. Mm. Mm. Now, my cigar, of course, went out, but I'm not going to relight now. I'll do that momentarily. But, mm. fantastic porter. Looking at this molnupiravir, and then looking at what is happening in countries in Africa, the 23 countries that prescribe ivermectin prophylactically. In India, as I mentioned, every Indian is getting, Indian, uh, and I say Indian, not Native American, but Indian that lives in India. They have come up with these COVID-19 cases, or, 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 or kits. And if you've got four people in your family, you, you get three other kits as well, but without the thermometer, obviously, and the pulse oximeter. Now, what they say to you is, every day, take your temperature, check your oxygenation level. If you see your oxygenation level go down, temperature go up, or you get any symptoms, you call a number. And they will monitor it, and then they will get you a test. I think there's a test already in the kit. You take the test, somebody gets the test, and if you are positive, they immediately tell you what to do, but they already have the drugs in hand. The ivermectin, the zinc, the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, doxycycline. It is all there. And then they monitor you every day. You call them every day or twice a day. What is your oxygenation level? If it gets below 95, you call. Gets below 95, then all of a sudden now they're monitoring more regularly. Gets below 90, then they get you to the hospital. But most of the time, the overwhelming majority, 90 plus percent, by getting the Wuhan virus early before it replicates and the virus explodes, they have been very successful. And now they found that ivermectin has had a prophylactic effect. Let me just pull up right now. Let me pull up this very second. Wuhan virus rates, COVID new cases, India. Okay, I want you to remember, India is one billion plus people. Let me see what the exact India, India population. Let's see what the exact population number is. So we're giving, we're working with, with. Uh, oh, I'm wrong. I am way wrong. It's about 1.4 billion. Actually, 1 billion 397 million. Let's just call it 1.4 billion. 1.4 billion. They hit a peak on May 5th. Correction, May 6th. 414,000. New cases, seven-day average of 389,000. That's for 1.4 billion people. Within two weeks, they started prescribing ivermectin, getting everybody on this special prophylactic and the kit being very proactive. Where are they today? This is as of yesterday. 
How many new cases? 21,257. So it's flatlined. Now you're talking about 21,000 cases in a country of 1.4 billion people. Oh, but wait, there's more. What's the vaccination rate in India? 55%? 60%? Fauci would probably say, oh, well, that kind of the slope going way down and flatline must be huge vaccination rate. 11%. 11%. Think about that for a second. 11%. Now let's go to the United States, shall we? The United States has 360 million people, give or take. We hit a, a super high peak January of this year of 251,000, and we hit another peak, even a lower peak, on September 16th, 154,883 new cases, seven-day average of just over 150,000. Now, we are at a vaccination rate of over 50% in this country. Again, a population of 370 million people, 360, 380, somewhere in that area. As of yesterday, 104,942 new cases. Let's call it 105,000. Seven-day average, 99,700. Now, explain this to me. We have a far smaller population than India. We are approximately a fifth the size of population of India. Approximately, a quarter to a fifth the size. Our vaccination rate in this country is over 50%, 55%, I believe, to be exact. And yet, yesterday, we had 105,000 new cases, seven-day average of 99,700. We'll call it 100,000. And even though the peak is coming down, when we look to India, which again is a population that is four or five times our country, they had 21,200 new cases, 21,266 seven-day average. Where's the difference? What's the deal? Or as Jerry Seinfeld would say, what's the deal? The deal is they are prescribing heavily not only for treatment, but prophylactically of ivermectin. They have jumped on top of it. They have a plan. Their physicians and government know how to treat this. Have you ever heard a plan from the CDC or Fauci? Talk to doctors. They'll tell you, we don't get any plan. The AMA's never sent out anything. The CDC, the FDA, Fauci, never. We're all on our own. How about Biden getting together a group of 50 physicians that have had success treating early onset Wuhan virus, bring them to the White House, keep Fauci out and say, what's working? How are you working? My, a good friend of mine who's a physician has treated over 300 patients, one in the hospital. Why? Early hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C3, and an anti-inflammatory, and azithromycin. They're doing it in India. India is putting the United States to shame. They're doing something right. And if you take a look at any African country that prescribes ivermectin prophylactically, same thing. The rate's non-existent. I'm trying to remember. I think Zambia. Let me put, hang on a second. One, because uh, not Zambia. Wait a minute. I did do it. Here we go. Zambia. Zambia is one of the 23 countries. Nope, it's not Zambia. Wait a minute. Hang on a second. 
23 country. You know what? I'll do that for another show. There's 23 countries that are in Africa, but I looked at about 10 of those countries. It is incredible when you take a look. There, Wuhan virus is non-existent. Why? Because almost every person in the country's population to avoid the encephalitis and the river blindness disease takes ivermectin twice a week prophylactically. It works. So next time somebody tells you, oh, this new drug from Merck is going to be great, you now have the information. You tell them it's not so great. Number one, it is a mutagenic type of drug. It doesn't kill the virus. It allows the virus to replicate, but with basically changed RNA. That can cause massive mutations and worse infections and a more virulent Wuhan virus disease across the world. That's number one. Number two, you tell them the Merck study was a joke. 775 patients, and they combined phase two and phase three, and another phase where they looked in at uh, fa patients hospitalized. They killed the study for business reasons. Translated, it didn't work. And third, you as taxpayers put in $29 million to the development of this supposedly miracle drug and are getting gouged. 712 bucks a dose for weekly a dosage schedule where ivermectin 10 20 most cases it's free with your insurance the study is fraudulent the drug has serious flaws that's been brought up numerous times going way back to when it was first developed seven eight years ago we have two drugs that work far more effectively better than their 50 percent non-hospitalization rate Ivermectin and, and, uh, and hydroxychloroquine with zinc, we know works far better, 90 plus percent. But yet, you're going to hear phony Fauci, and you're going to hear the Libstream media, and you are going to hear the Lib Dems, and you are going to hear big tech tout how great this drug is. And when somebody tries to bring up the fact that, no, there are flaws like I just did, they will be silenced on social media, silenced by the Dems, silenced by the Libstream media, and silenced by Fauci is saying, they're not following the science. The only people not following the science on this molnupiravir is Merck, who manufactures the drug itself, phony Fauci, big uh, evil tech, the Lib Dems, and the Libstream media. They are not following the science. They will kill more people when we know for fact ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine works. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow alphas, this general rests his case. Don't forget, make sure you follow me social media at Cigar Dave Show on Twitter. Make sure that you follow us on Facebook, Cigar Dave, Instagram, Cigar Dave. Email me, CigarDave at CigarDave.com. If you like my extended weekly Saturday show, we're going to do this experiment. Don't know if we're going to do it every week. We'll wait to hear what you have to say. Lastly, I forgot to tell you about the Officers Club. How could I forget? We've got the October Officers Club selection that is going out probably around the 20th. I will tell you right now, there are major supply issues, major supply chain issues everywhere. The cigar industry is backed up on bands, boxes, cigars, labor issues. But I'm pleased to tell you that your September 2021 selection did go out late, but it went out last week. The La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempo, named after the rare, bold, sun-grown Connecticut Havano leaf harvested from the top of the planet, enriched 
a plant enriched with the most direct sunlight, the La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempo, medium to full body gem. Master blended using a perfectly paired collection of aged cigar tobaccos from Ecuador, the United States, Honduras, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic. After lighting up, you get a broad array of flavor notes, including cream, cedar, spice, cocoa, cinnamon, subtle hints of sweetness, fabulous cigars. All our members should have received them. And for October, the shipment will probably go out. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be late October. We hope earlier, but good news. We have got three cigars from Alec Bradley. One of my favorites, the Alec Bradley Prensado, medium to full bodied box press beauty. We've got another one of my favorites, also medium to full, the Project 40 Maduro. Love this cigar. In fact, when I was talking to my good buddy, Ralph Montero at Alec Bradley, I said, Ralph, I'm a little low on Project 40 Maduros. You need to send me some bundles. He is a general. If I had the bundles, I'd send them to you. But when they do come in, we'll mark a few for you and we will ship those to you. He's a beautiful San Andreas Mexican wrapper, Habano Brazil binder, Nicaraguan filler, great cigar. And lastly, the new Alec Bradley Magic Toast launched about a year ago, medium to full Honduran wrapper, Nicaraguan Honduran binder and filler, fabulous cigar. Telling you, three great cigars from Alec Bradley. If you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, join right now. $22.95 per month gets you three premium cigars shipped to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club Ziploc pouch. Great cigars, expand your cigar palette. Even if you're a cigar novice, a cigar neophyte, an experienced connoisseur, there's always a cigar that you will enjoy. And it's like Halloween, not just in October, but every month, three great cigars shipped to you. So go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club. You can join. All the frequently asked questions are right there. You will receive three fantastic cigars. And I will tell you right now, we are going to have a price increase in January. We're getting hit. Postage went up. Everything has gone up can tell you, and we've not had a price increase, I looked in probably about eight plus years, maybe nine years, we're going to have to raise it probably to $24.95 per month, don't want to do it, but you can thank the Biden regime for the hyperinflation. On that note, Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor always be full, Mayor Cutter always be sharp, Mayor Ashby extra, extra long, Semper Delictatio, always pleasure, long live the alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, save America, and tomorrow, to my beloved Buffalo Bills, I want you to whack the Chiefs, Josh Allen and company, go into Arrowhead and do a beatdown on the Kansas City chefs. Go Bills! Hashtag Bills Mafia. Nobody circles the Kansas City Chiefs like the Buffalo Bills.